This is a Federal News Network podcast. If you've bought a major appliance in the last few decades, it's probably come along with a sticker from the EPA's Energy Star program rating its energy efficiency. But you might not know the EPA is also in the business of scoring and certifying the efficiency of huge data centers. The agency has just released the latest version of its certification standards for data centers. And to talk more about how that program works, we're joined now by Ryan Fogel. He's the data center product manager for the Energy Star program. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for taking the time for this. And I guess let's start with the news, which would have been the the new specifications that EPA announced for the Energy Star program and data centers in August. Can you get us going just by talking about exactly what changed with the release of those specifications? What's new here compared to the old regime? First off, uh, just thank you very much for having me. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk data centers with you today. Uh, so for the new specification, this is for data center storage products. So these are purpose-built data storage for applications where you need a lot of data storage capacity with high performance. So think about if you do that online banking um, a lot of banking institutions use data center storage because obviously you want to access that information quickly and there's a lot of it out there. So that's a that's kind of one area where you would use it. So when we did the version 1.0 specification, uh, it was the first time that we really anybody really looked at the energy efficiency of these products. Um, so it was an exciting time. It also was uh, a time of great learning. So we really wanted to take those lessons learned from version 1.0 of the specification and apply them to version 2.0 to make it a a much better one. So there's three kind of key ways that we looked at improving it and and, uh, making it a stronger specification. So the first and probably the most exciting is that for the first time in the history of the program, we set up the efficiency criteria to differentiate products based on how well they worked when in their active mode. So essentially, for every watt of energy that goes into that product, how well does it do its job? And then differentiate those products that do the best. Um, and that's the first time uh, that that's really happened uh, worldwide. In addition, uh, we look to simplify the test method, which made our partners very excited and makes it a lot easier to test and certify these really complex and configurable products. And then the last big change was that we increased the options that uh, data center owners could have to reduce the amount of data that needs to be stored. So there's different technologies within the product that reduce duplication, c- compress the data, and depending on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, those options can also be huge energy savers. So it's something that we really wanted to encourage. And that active mode testing strikes me as something that's probably pretty important in a data center context, right? Because the whole point of a data center is to maximize the utilization of the computing resources. So in that in that kind of environment, the, the asset's going to theoretically be in active mode most of the time, right? Yeah, ideally, it'll be in active mode most of the time. That's something that, broadly speaking, in the data center, uh, any sort of product within the data center not doing its job, I, i.e. being idle, is, is not really ideal for the data center owner, and it's obviously not very ideal from, from an energy standpoint. Um, we, we would prefer to have you know, less products doing lots of work very efficiently. So zooming out to the broader data center Energy Star program, can you talk a bit about what, what some of what you've been able to achieve in data centers so far in terms of reducing energy utilization, even as the use of data centers has really exploded in the past couple decades? Yeah, and it's really, a, it is a good story. Uh, 
the, probably the two biggest areas that we've been able to, to have the biggest success are in the servers themselves and the cooling of those servers within the data center. So on the server side, to talk about them first, uh, really the, the biggest thing that we've seen over the years is just replacing older, less efficient computer servers with newer, more efficient servers. As you know, most people I think have probably heard at least in passing, you know, computing power over the years has just exploded as well. Um, there's Moore's law out there that, that gets thrown around commonly. And we've certainly uh, seen a beneficiary of that within the, the data center as well. On the cooling side, the servers and the, the, the equipment in there, they generate a ton of heat. So you need to cool that cool those products as well. And there's metrics on, on that side, which have been a point of emphasis for a lot of data center owners, and they've had great success within that. And programs have been able to focus on that with great success as well. So that's been able to drive the energy consumption more on the building side, since the building's the one really, really cooling it, to reduce that HVAC waste and really push, kind of push the air where you want it to go and push the air that you don't want to be there away from the, the equipment that you have in there. So, you know, with those two big successes, what we've been trying to do at Energy Star here is really focus on those areas where there's been less success or is kind of the next frontier. So we've been looking at trying to improve the, the practices of data center owners to improve that airflow even further, identifying an ideal temperature set point um, because the equipment that goes in there now is able to operate at hotter temperatures than it was maybe 10, 20 years ago when it you probably had to wear an overcoat to go within in the data center. And then also just getting proper usage of, of your Energy Star products. So things like power management. Those are a lot of the, the tools that we're we're really looking with our online content on the energystar.gov website to, to help data center operators think about those next steps that they can take if they're interested in saving energy and, and reducing their their electric bills. That's really interesting. So I, I thought you were going to say we've managed to make things like CPUs and GPUs more efficient, but but I guess probably not, right? Because folks like AMD and Intel and, and NVIDIA already have pretty strong incentives to make their products as energy efficient as possible and, and market them as such. Is, is that right? Yeah, and especially since we're looking, um, as we mentioned before, we're looking at the active mode power. So there is an we kind of have joint incentives at that point. We kind of like to set set the bar to, so that they can stretch and reach those points. But as you noted, I mean, all of those those chip manufacturers, the CPU and GPU folks, they also have an incentive to to market their products as being the highest performance and really helping their customers do do the best. So we have we have joint goals at at that point. We just kind of try to help them stretch their legs even more. And let's talk about the rating process that EPA now uses for for data centers. How does that work? You know, what what sort of levels of certification can you get, and and what are the incentives for a data center owner to 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 get a rating? Sure. To start, um, so to get a rating, you would first need to benchmark your actual data center. So, uh, Energy Star on their website, they have a tool called the Portfolio Manager. It's a free online software, and it it essentially allows you to compare your data center to similar ones across the country. So you'd need a, a couple pieces of information. One is 12 months of the whole building energy use. Um, so I mentioned there was there's metrics, uh, the metrics called PUE, 
Um, so you basically need the full data, the data, the electric data from the full building, and then you need the electric data from the data center portion of that as well. So kind of the cooling and then the equipment. And that, if you have those two pieces of information, you go into portfolio manager and that will eventually spit out a score that's one to a hundred. And that's kind of your energy star score. From there, if you want to get energy star certification, you would need a score of 75 or higher to be eligible for that. So that's kind of the first level. And then once the data center is eligible, then you can actually start the application process. So you would generate an application within the portfolio manager, answer a few more questions, and then you'd have to work with a licensed professional that would basically sign off that everything looks good from the energy data, the building characteristics, and whether all the criteria has been met. Then the application gets submitted. It'll be come to the EPA team to review. And that's that's really the, the process on how to, to get it. From there, it's given on an annual basis so that you can continually update your, your certification. You just need to continue to have that 12-month period of energy performance. And um, more recently, Energy Star is actually exploring an update to that Energy Star score. So as, as you can imagine, over the last decade, uh, there's data centers have grown substantially and they've also continued to get more efficient. So Energy Star is partnering with the Green Grid, which is a nonprofit industry consortium, to conduct a survey of the market and get the data on how efficient are the products now and how does the Energy Star score need to be adjusted uh, in the future. To answer the second question on the advantages of Energy Star certification, there's there's a number of them really. Uh, the probably the biggest and the most obvious is that you'd have lower utility bills. Obviously, using less energy equates to a lower utility bill. You also, by extension, would generate fewer greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but there's some some other ones that that folks may not think about from from the onset. So there's a number of commercial real estate studies that have suggested that the Energy Star buildings in general have had fewer vacancies, higher occupancy rates, and also higher price premiums. Uh, some tenants they'll specifically ask for Energy Star certified buildings. So there may be customers that say, "I only want to be in an Energy Star certified data center." Um, federal agencies would be a, a good example of that. Um, and it's been, we've seen that it's been good for employee retention as well, um, as you know, environmental issues have been in the news quite a bit, uh, and many people want to work for an environmentally responsible organization. And as you probably have seen and others have seen as well, you know, you can see the Energy Star label right on the door and that conveys environmental responsibility right as you, you walk in the door. And it's, you know, the tool and the resources that Energy Star provide are, are really low cost, they're practically free. The only real cost for, for getting a building certified is that licensed professional. And Energy Star even provides some tips for lowering the, the costs uh, associated with the, the professional audit as well. And, and does the program really mostly focus on these, these huge multi-tenant type data centers versus potentially a large data center that a company is running for its own use in a sort of on-prem model? So I think the, the sweet spot right now has been standalone data centers. Um, it's a little more difficult to get a data center that's within a multi-use building. So, you know, think of an office building that has a data center in it just because of how the metering works. But it is something that as that score gets updated that I mentioned, um, that will be included in that as well. So there'll be, there'll be elements of that so that really any data center could 
could be part of of the program in some way, shape, or form. Can you just give us a sense of how energy intensive data centers tend to be compared to you know similarly sized commercial facilities that aren't data centers? Sure. Uh, there's three ways that we kind of like to splice it to give give a little sense of how how energy intensive these these uh, buildings really are. So the first would be that if you think of your typical office building, a data center would consume about 10 to 50 times more energy per square foot than that typical office building. So they're very energy dense. If you think of a common data center, so the average one, uh, that would use enough energy to power over 3000 homes. And if you get into the really large data centers, those would draw enough power actually for over 32,000 homes. And then, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, the ener- there's a lot of energy tied up with it. It has slowly ticked up, as you can well imagine, um, with how we've become data oriented. Um, so the latest estimates believe that data centers consume about 1% of the energy used globally. And that number is pretty similar for the United States as well. And it's really only expected to continue rising, which is why we we consider this such an important area to to promote efficiency in. Yeah, because I guess there's two ways to look at that, right? One is, oh my gosh, data centers use a lot of energy. But the other is, what would the alternative be, right? Because what you have now is a situation where you put all the computers in one building, you can actively manage their energy use. If things like cloud computing really hadn't happened, that same amount of computing resources would be scattered around in offices and homes all over the world. But poorly managed. Is, is So has anyone ever done, ever run the numbers to figure out how much of an energy savings there is just by the fact of having things in data centers where they can be run more efficiently? So I don't know about numbers, you know, specifically. There's there's so many variations of data centers and what they're doing and how they're doing that it's 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 a kind of a difficult number to, to figure out and put one number to that. But from kind of a, a broad standpoint, it is something that we we tend to encourage. Um, you know, having all these little data centers around do tend to be less efficient. You have less options available. So uh, there is a there is a part of of what we're trying to promote of moving into whether it's cloud or co- a co-location facility. It really depends on what's right for your data center. But we've been trying to kind of pick that lock of what is it that motivates an individual data center to not move out of that small closet type data center and move into something that's a bigger facility where it can be better actively managed um, and be a more efficient facility while also meeting the goals of that client. Ryan Fogel is the Data Center Products Manager for EPA's Energy Star program. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.